The shadows of storm and night. The mysteries of life and light. From unearthly peculiarities, celestial and divine, to apparitions and transcendental signs. You're listening to To The Spirit Podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Spirit. I'm back. And I'm Steph. Hey, Steph. Hey, Beck. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We have a new country listening. I've heard. Konnichiwa, Japan. Konnichiwa. <laughs> and hello to all our listeners in 25 countries and 40 states in the continental U.S. <laughs> cool. So do you see what I'm wearing? Yep, it says Irish. Where's your green stuff? Uh, I have green eyes, so that... <laughs> okay. That's about it. She always wears black. It's the Italian uh, colors. <laughs> Do you have any Irish in you? I'm not really sure. My last name is Edie, and it is English, Scottish origin. But my actual grandfather that gave me, you know, that I have that name from, he always said they were Scottish. But my dad was adopted. So when we did our DNA with, like, Ancestry or whatever, actually we found who his real father is, and he's from Denmark. So I'm Danish, basically, okay. and Italian. Mom's side's from Italy, and my dad's side, I guess, is from... Well, that's the one thing I love about being Irish and celebrating St. Patrick's Day is Irish people don't have a problem with cultural appropriation. But I still think Europeans in general think it's funny when we say, oh, I'm Irish, <laughs> or I'm well, Italian, or Irish we don't American. live there. Yeah, and they don't, but they don't get it though because I've had these conversations with Europeans who are like, "But you're not." And <laughs> what do you mean? But our our roots are. Yeah, I think this is the the thing that makes the U.S. different than, like, say, Australia, which kind of does this too, and other countries. That when they've had an influx of immigrants, the United States likes to identify very strongly, even generations after you're really far removed from the culture whatsoever. So you get a lot of people here who are like, "Yeah, I'm Italian." And <laughs> well, they okay. know nothing about Italy or it. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, and this is going to tie into our announcement. And yes, we have an announcement coming. I'm Irish, Scottish, English mix, American, right? Yeah. Irish, Scottish, American, whatever. And I just so happen to inherit the red hair through the genetics, the blue eyes, the blood disease. <laughs> <laughs> I have hemochromatosis, which is generally like a Scottish-Irish thing. And that's where we have too much iron stored in our livers and our organs. And it's a blood disease. And it's not the alcohol. It's not the Guinness or the whiskey. No, I'm completely dry. <laughs> I'm a dry little leprechaun. That actually ties into what we're going to announce. So we have an announcement. And the announcement is we're going to be cutting down to one episode a week. And I'm going to explain why. I am battling a few problems health-wise, and I have to go in for treatments, injections and things that I take that really just knock me out, and it's hard on me. And I was doing it for months, obviously, I've been doing it since launch, but we also launched another podcast, and it's not up everyone's alley, it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're really into the paranormal and you're a very serious person, you may not like this. 
But uh, our buddy Jason and us decided that we were going to have an Umbrella podcast off of To the Spirit. And it's called Umbrella Holics. I'm going to play you the trailer because why not? It's St. Patrick's Day. Let's get a little fun. But before I even play you the trailer, I do want to make another announcement that might be a little bit of more good news. If we do get interviews, I will be still publishing two episodes a week. And if we don't, we'll just be down to the one episode on Friday a week. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to the new podcast, Umbrella Holics. Umbrella Holics. Drink of the day, martini. Need a cool drink to wash down the 1,200 calories and 1,500 milligrams of salt from that tasty movie theater popcorn? Look no further. Get it shaken, not stirred or on the rocks. Not an olive person? No problem. Add a twist of lemon to kick it up to glorious heights of sophistication. Whatever the case, this refreshing, elegant drink will make you feel like a super spy, a smooth crooner, or refined jet-setting royalty. So open the Hidden Glow bar, sit back, take a sip, and feel like a movie star in the golden age of Hollywood. Cheers! Our friend Steffi was a zombie and kind of got cured, but the zombie pops out every now and then. We know that she worked at the roller skating rink. We're going to try and get some skates from her. Hi, this my bright skate. I'm feeling like a nail poking my, my heel. I actually need some skates. One too. at a time! <laughs> you go one at a time. One at a time. I'll uh, use okay. a size 7, please. Okay, use size 7. What you size? Well, okay, I, I'm size five and a half but listen do you have half sizes no you wear a big size that's it okay okay but i really need mine to be white only brown orange wheel that's it that's all we got (laughs) somebody on their skating rink though has a a white skate those are their skates not ours ours brown I hear you got some stories to pitch for some motion pictures. Let's start this off. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, mine's kind of, it's just like a fast log line. Okay. There is a a 12 inch plastic ruler that cruelly conquers a desk. And then the pencils rebel. It's a romance. (laughs) Are we, is this going to be animated or is this, is this like live action? Live action. Definitely. Budget. What's that going to be? It's going to be cheap. We'll go to Staples. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I'm going to count to five, and on five, if you're still here, I'm going to firebomb your apartment, all right? Get out! Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I've been having impure thoughts about you lately. Oh, no. Not to leprechauns again. I'm your Father, too, and I'm here to torment you with all my sins. Many sins. I'm King Brian O'Connor from Nakhnesheba. We've done drugs. Yeah, Father, I did lots of drinking myself. What kind of drugs do leprechauns do? Everything the people do. Except the four-leaf clovers, those are especially dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I eat the crumbs that fall from the big sinner's tables. (laughs) Did anybody die during your... No, I don't think anyone had died. Me thinks the Father forgives. Father? Hey! Sound like a lager. Are you drinking lagers, Father? The you father's got to have a little fun too, you know. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's talk about some movie stars we met. Lizzie, did you ever meet any movie stars? 
Well, I don't want to take you back to my, uh, why I got my union card, but I was in a play off-Broadway at St. Anne's Warehouse starring Al Pacino, Marissa Tomei, Diane Weiss, David Strathairn, Aidan Quinn. What? Yeah. It was called Salome, and I was the slave, and I had two lines, and I messed up one of those lines the first night. That's amazing. Well, did, <laughs> did you say hi to anybody backstage or interact with them? Yeah, I loaned some gel to Aiden Quinn because his hair was and I was like, I got gel, Aiden. Disaster loves him, by the way. She's going to be so jealous. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, he's really, really nice. His wife's name is Elizabeth, apparently. And then uh, Al Pacino, because they made me join Equity because of this, he was like, they made you join the union? Ah, they got you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to my tour. Thanks for being on the bus today gonna take you around show you a couple uh you know major spots all right so what we're passing here right now don't stand up don't stand up on the bus you can take a look at this corner this is where famous rapper actor producer 50 cents once dropped 25 cent in the sewer grate and almost got hit by a pedicab wow oh my god it was pretty monumental yeah yeah wow stuff maniac it's a package for you. It's for me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, oh. It smells good. What do you got? What do you got? Well, one, it is a plaid button-up shirt, like the Grinch style. Oh, a flannel? A flannel. And Beautiful. What's, what's that? It says, help. Kurt and Tupac are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and they have taken me for ransom. They aren't really dead. Eddie Vedder. Oh. And in case... What's that say? In case you're wondering... Oh, Everybody had oh. a persona, though. You had Louis the Warlock. Remember him? Yep. Louis the Warlock yep. used to wear duct tape around his arms and legs. Mm-hmm. And he would shoot flames. Yeah, he had like a little machine. Out of his wrists. Yeah. Like a magician. He'd flick his wrist. Yeah. He'd flick his wrist and a fire would come shooting out. I knew a dude who went by the uh, his Christian name, Chuck the Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he always wore a cape and had the teeth. I met him at OCC. It's like a community college. And he knew I was a filmmaker. And we started hanging out and stuff. And... Yeah, he had all sorts of parties. He wanted me to film a video of him running around in the forest with with like with his shirt off and the cape and blood and like he was biting some chick. Uh, sounds, we never really got around to doing that. Sounds like the plot of Twilight. <laughs> yeah, great parties with Chuck the Vampire though. Yeah, I used to go to underground parties with Fat Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> where where did you meet Fat Edward Scissorhands? Through a mutual goth industrial friend, and uh, he would wear the platform black like Frankenstein shoes. And what was his first name? Uh, do you know? I th do you know his first name? No, I actually. Or is it just Fat? Fat ever. <laughs> For one million three hundred sixty-five thousand and twenty-three dollars, you have to go on three dates in a row. First date is Louis Anderson. 
Second day is Anne Ramsey from The Goonies. And the last day is Richard Simmons. <laughs> you must give all of them a passionate goodnight kiss. Which one would you date for $1,365,023? <laughs> well, I'm going with Anne Ramsey. <laughs> Umbrella Holics, what you f- want? I have a question for stuff, Maniac. I'm right here. Okay. You've got to pick one. We have to have an after-school fight with either a coked-out James Spader or a roid-raged William Zapka, Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid. Okay, thank you, my dear. Uh, please <laughs> don't you. break anything else, like the TV or my arcade game, okay? Thank you. I would fight Johnny Lawrence from Karate I'm Kid. A braid rage bender? <laughs> and a roid rage bender. Oh, I could do it. Sweep the leg! The first time I drank was with my friend Jamie and his brother and everybody. There was a place in our area called North High, which used to be a school that my mom went to, and they tore it down. Jamie's brother was old enough or his older brothers got it for us or whatever so we're all drinking milwaukee's beast right oh bad bad yeah we're about 110 pounds and uh (laughs) (laughs) so we're 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 pretty wasted over the baseball diamond is is like a cage that you can climb up and sit on and then there's a rope going down it with a stick you can grab onto the stick and hold on it you can run and jump lift your legs and swing so Ooh. Jamie, super drunk, decides it's a good idea to grab onto the stick and twist it and wind it up as much as he can. Then he, he grabs onto it and lifts his feet. And, <laughs> and, then, and then he starts spinning like Tasmania devil. <laughs> and his, his 80s hair is flopping around. If I, could, if I could take a picture of that moment, it would be on Time Magazine as the <laughs> picture of the year. Did he have a mully? Oh my god, it was flapping in the wind like Fabio. Oh, J-Maniac. Okay, let me see. Whoever licked it, licked it really well, because I can't even get the card out. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a sunset on the dock in the sunset. It looks like we'd want to be there on drugs. Okay. I want you to join me, Jay. It is your choice, but know that the wrong choice is also the right choice. Choose wisely. If so, you so choose. Take a handful of each, and you'll see me shortly. I'm always watching. Harold. (gasps) (laughs) (gasps) Oh my god, I'm trembling. (laughs) I guess we'll find out later who Harold is, huh? So what'd you think of the trailer stuff? Pretty good. I mean, we lived through it. We did it. So it sounds different (laughs) to hear that, you know, but it's amusing to me too. There's a lot of swearing and I thought it was hilarious to put the beeps in, even though we swear on this podcast. It's ridiculous. I don't know why I did it. But then after I did it, I was like, well, it kind of shows how much we swear. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should start off by talking about saint patrick i agree he's uh probably the most well-known saint probably throughout the i think all of the world 
in my opinion. Well, you've got St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, I think it's mixed up with, you know, the whole Santa Claus thing that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think people really don't know about St. Nicholas. They just know the name. But I think St. Patrick is very well known. And I would say after that, uh, probably St. Francis of Assisi is very well known. Well, upon his arrival in heaven and subsequent elevation to sainthood, St. Patrick saw good luck as an untapped resource in the battle against the forces of darkness. He was a 5th century Irish bishop known as the Apostle of Ireland. He had limited yet positive dealings with leprechauns while he was alive as a human, and he even dealt with a few chloricons, or evil leprechauns as well. We'll talk about the chloricons a little later. As much as I know about St. Patrick is that he most likely came from Wales, and this at the time I think was the Roman Empire. And so he was kidnapped, I guess, and turned into a slave in Ireland, and he was there for quite a while, and he was able to escape. And when he escaped, I think he did some travelings for a while, and he got back home in his 20s, but he had very, very, I think he had voices that had told him, basically, you know, to go back to Ireland and bring Christianity back there. Yeah. And I think he had dreams as well. Well, once in sainthood, and it was bestowed upon him immediately, he descended to earth to establish March 17th as St. Patrick's Day. Unfortunately, under the Supernatural Secrecy Pact, he couldn't actually contact the Catholic Church to let them know he wanted it to be called Good Luck Day. What he could do was contact the ultimate purveyors of good luck on earth, that being the leprechauns of Ireland. <laughs> you like how we're mixing a little bit of the superstition yeah. in with the real facts? Because that's how we roll here. Well, I had always believed growing up that he cast the snakes out of Ireland. You know? Except there were no snakes in Ireland. Except most islands don't have snakes. And then when you look at the science behind why there's no snakes there, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. I'd like to believe that there was some wonderful, you know, amazing miracle happened and the snakes were banished. But there is kind of an explanation with science. And I think it had to do with the last ice age, you know, more like weather, being an island, snakes not really being able to get there <laughs> type thing. <laughs> I thought some snakes can swim, right? Like- they can swim. I think that it's not impossible to get there. But when you look at the weather everything you know there's a they, they list a lot of the reasons the weather and everything and the big waves well, crashing up freezing there's no there's not a lot of snakes and in, in cold temperatures and if they're if they're going coming out of an ice age this is ten thousand years ago oh my people my people the national museum of ireland has said it looks like we would not have had snakes the snake is believed to be a metaphor for the druids hmm Did you know that the Irish Americans would wear the green as a reminder that they were nationalists first and foremost? The colors of the Irish flag are green, white, and orange. The green symbolizing the Irish nationalism, the orange symbolizing the orangemen of the north, and the white symbolizing peace. The mythical belief that green is to be worn to make you invisible to leprechauns originated here in America. But what else originated here in America? It was the first St. Patrick's Day parade, which this shocked me because I'm thinking Irish Catholics and and Catholics all over, they love processions. Yeah. They'll get their statue out. They have a big festival and they're going down the road and everyone shows up. (laughs) So I'm thinking that it would definitely be Ireland that would have the first parade. We call them here parades. (laughs) Right, right. 
but it actually happened in 1737 in Boston. Wow. Which is a really long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Ireland's first parade was held in Waterford in 1903. Way later. <laughs> Way later. <laughs> like, we started the parade trend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so according to legend, St. Patrick used the shamrock as a metaphor for the Holy Trinity when he first introduced Christianity to Ireland. So with the three-leaf clover, he tried to explain that the Trinity... Like, there's three gods, but in one. There's really only one god, but it's three in one. And they would think that's impossible. How can you be three persons, but be one person? He goes, look, here's a three-leaf clover. It's three leaves, but one plant. That's the myth that, you know, I'm not sure if it's true. Okay. But that's what I heard. So what's the four-leaf clover, then? That's the um, one that has a genetic defect. (laughs) (laughs) But it's supposed to be lucky. (laughs) I think they are lucky. I have found... I never, I always thought that was a myth, that four-leaf clovers didn't exist until I actually found some. Yeah, I I had one or two in my day. It took a long time to find it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you were talking about what green represented for the Irish, the color that they associate with St. Patrick is actually blue. Yes. And that was the first time I've heard that. I didn't know about that. Before we get into St. Patty's Day and all the lore and the legend, should we... uh... Have Rick come in on this? Yeah, we'll bring Rick. Some things that I think people should know about Irish mythology is that we tend to take mythologies for granted in general, right? We, we tend to think it's all made up. It's all a bunch of stuff that maybe comes off the top of the head of storytellers. Well, one thing that it's important to remember when you're looking into a culture's ancient mythological tales and stories, a lot of them are founded in things that probably happened in the past or in people that actually existed before. And in Irish mythology, particularly, this is important because we know that throughout much of the world, throughout history, no matter where you live, too, whether it's here in North America or in Europe or anywhere else, There's tons of invasions that you read about that go back throughout history, people after people after people. Well, in Irish mythology, it's almost way more so detailed and and a lot less fantastical. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of incredible stories of adventures and mythical objects and peoples, but uh, we can really glean a lot of information from their tales and also The other thing you want to remember when you approach it, because there is so much to read, so much interesting stuff, that there are cycles to it, a lot like Greek myths, where there's times of uh, where where each different hero kind of reflects the values of that society at the time. The two most famous Irish heroes going back in time would probably be the first one being Cúhalan, which is Gaelic for the Hound of Cooley. He was very much like a lot of the heroes you'd read about at Troy, like Achilles or Ajax or people like that, where they were almost indomitable, that they couldn't be defeated by anyone. And the same goes for Cúhalan. I'm just going to rattle off a couple of stories here, short ones, because we Irish, we like to talk a lot and our stories are pretty long. I don't want to... <laughs> But as I studied a lot of this in college, you know, there's there's some great short stories that stick out, like 
Kuhalan, he gets his name, it means Hound of Cooley. And, and the reason why he got that name is almost sort of like Hercules, where Hercules took on the trials for a great Greek king after murdering his family as like an act of repentance. Well, Kuhalan was a young boy of a lord or, or local Irish chieftain or king. And as a young boy, he accidentally... Well, I shouldn't say accidentally. He did it on purpose, but he didn't know whose hound it was. But he killed this great hound of another king. And the name Hound of Cooley, he meant it as a way to take that hound's place. Uh, this hound was like a great champion of this king. So Cuhullen mm -hmm. took the hound's name as a way of filling its role and spent a time serving this king. But there's another great story of Kuhalan years later in life when he was sort of, he was sort of a traveler, you know, think like the old TV show, uh, the journeys of Hercules, you know, kind of like that. And he approached this walled fortification of this one King. He was looking for work and he is stopped at the gates. And obviously the guards were suspicious of who he was. So he told them he was looking for work and they said, what can you do? And he goes, I'm a great bard. I can sing great songs and tell great stories. And they said, well, we already got one of those. He goes, I'm a great warrior. I could fill the ranks of his army and slay dozens of men in his name. And they said, well, we have plenty of those. We don't need another one of those. He said, well, I'm a great champion. I can serve as a great champion of the uh, bodyguard retinue of the king. And they said, well, we, we have a strong bodyguard. We don't need any of that. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. He lists every role you can imagine. Finally, he stops for a moment and he asks them, do you have someone that can be all of these things? And obviously stunned, they said no, you know, and, and let him in. And it's that it just tells a lot about the types of things that the Irish valued at that time. Right. Like they valued a person who could do all of those things. They were they were all about this sort of renaissance man culture during that time but they also it shows what they really sought in their heroes at the time kuhalan was valiant unbeatable could do anything and you know in every story everything every great trial he went through he always came out on top and over time he eventually dies a valiant death in battle just like how achilles had his achilles heel Kuhalan was given to these fits of rage. When he went into them, it would think like the Incredible Hulk. Nobody could stop him, calm him down, anything. Well, in this great battle, believe it or not, to, to rescue a bull, long story, I'd be here for an hour trying to explain it, but in this great battle, uh, his rage gets the better of him, and he forgets what the Lady Morrigan told him, that it would lead to his doom and he takes a wound and dies. But the next great cycle, the head of that cycle, that time period, the great warrior that they always told stories about was a guy by the name of Finn McCool. And Finn was very different. Whereas Cuhullen, maybe he had friends that traveled with him occasionally. He was very much, you know, the lone gunman type of character. He did things on his own. He, he didn't have much in the way of weaknesses, things like that. Finn McCool is very different, and he came about during a time of great trial and tribulation 
for the Irish people, uh, Viking invasions. And then later on, as his stories were told for centuries and, and more stories created for centuries, Finn came to reflect whatever, first being a hero, but then eventually sort of a reflection of the Irish enemies, too. He starts out as this leader of a great band of warriors called the Fianna. They named themselves after him. And in the early days, he was a giant. He was very strong, but you could get the better of him by outthinking him or outwitting him, things like that. But he had he had a good heart. As time went on, he, he became more of a joke, really. I don't want to make any Irish people mad, but there was plenty of stories of him embarrassing himself, being outwitted by villagers and things like that. Never really quite a villain, but it was almost like the Irish put what they, you know, like what they kind of projected as what they were fighting like on him or used him as a way to maybe bring some laughter and some levity to each other during hard times. They would invent these stories. But to me, uh, beyond the hero cycles and everything else, the story of the two-a-day Dannon is probably something that even if people don't know about, they probably do know what it references, which is the little people, basically. Uh, not, not really the leprechauns, but, but the fairy folk. Two-a-day Dannon is the Gaelic word for them, and they were the second to last of Ireland's invasions before recorded historical times. They're a very incredible people, and I'm going to get to them, but I'd like to kind of come back full circle to what I was talking about in the beginning, where they really, uh, within Irish myths, there's a, especially about the invasions, there's probably a lot of information there that a studious sort of careful eye can use to get a glimpse into their actual sort of pre-recorded history. Because Ireland went through several mythic invasions, but all of them seem to have characteristics which might actually signify real peoples. The first wave, they were called the Partholan or the Partholan, and they were very much a villainous people. Sometimes people say they were like almost sort of like giant cyclopses or no-eyed giants. They came to Ireland at a time when it was known as the land of the happy dead. Their leader's name was Partholan or Partholan. And it was a very different country then. It had a single plain, they said, and nine rivers and three lakes developed during the time of the Partholans, almost like they were bringing it life, but they were gigantic and deformed and very violent themselves. It was almost just like their presence was starting something in the history of Ireland, like bringing life to it. And an even more giant and deformed people called the Fomorians followed, and they fought a vicious civil war where eventually the Partholanians did defeat them and drive the Fomorians into the sea. So this could be uh, their very first, you know, going back to maybe Neolithic times, like the great first war of invasion in which I guess you call the native peoples the first ones there. They, they were successful, but unfortunately the Partholanians themselves they say were wiped out with a plague shortly afterwards. And afterwards, we have the Numidian.
the Nominian, they say in Irish myth that they came from the land of Scythia, which the Scythians, they were like the grandparents, if you want to get sort of an image in your mind, of peoples like the Huns, okay? They, they came from the Eurasian steppes. And this is very common, by the way, in Celtic mythology. There was even theories in earlier times that the Picts, the ancient people of Scotland who were all covered in tattoos, uh, they had a matrilineal society, supposedly, some say they did, all of these things that they may have come from Scythia too. Me personally, it's kind of hard to tell. It's way back in time, but it very well could be. They said that they landed in Ireland though with a fleet of 32 ships after an 18th month journey at sea. Over time, because Ireland was empty again, they settled, but the Fomorians came back. These were like these, they're almost like the orcs in Tolkien mythology. You know, they're, they're never quite fully defeated. They just kind of hide in the ground or they hide under the sea. So over time, after the Parthalanians had fallen by the wayside and before the Numidians came, their strength returned and things got pretty dire when both sides had begun to really repopulate Ireland. There were several great wars. Each time, Nemed, uh, the leader of the Numidians, was able to defeat them. But then he died of a plague as well. And so did several thousand of his people. And even though they were very successful, the Fomorians eventually gained power for a time. Eventually, though, there is a great uprising. The Numidians wouldn't remain conquered. And the leader of the Numidians, Fergus, killed Conan, the leader of the Fomorians. Was that Conan the Barbarian? (laughs) (laughs) Similar spelling, but two N's at the end. That's funny. But once again, though, the Fomorians, they're meant to represent, I think, the darkness, right? Because everyone thought they were defeated, but they regrouped again. And this time they annihilated them, leaving only 30 Numidians left. And they apparently fled Ireland. We can glean a little bit more history, but then at the same time, You know, even though I've talked about deformed giants and people living under the sea, things tend to get a little more fantastical at this point. Because after this, 200 years later, a people called the Firbolog come. And apparently their origin story is they were slaves that had escaped Greece and they introduced culture and agriculture to Ireland. I do remember, and I'm just checking my notes here, but I do remember their physical description a little bit, but they were sort of short, dark hair, dark eyed people and really stark contrast to the Fomorians who were, you know, huge and deformed. But the fear bullock, they brought all these other good things too, like they brought a code of law in social institutions. And fear bullock in Gaelic means men of the bags, because apparently... Even though Ireland was beginning to become lush and green during these centuries, agriculture was still very hard. And so the Fear Bullock brought tons and tons of earth and bags with them and laid it out across Ireland and basically introduced full-blown agriculture to the island. So they were very beneficial for Ireland. And in some stories, they give them the recognition that they were the ones who helped make Ireland so green. Now... Other stories have suggested that the fear bullet came from Spain. And there's always been an Irish link to Spain in a lot of stories. I mean, going up through medieval times, you know, I mean, they're they're everywhere. The problem with the fear bullet, though, they were great thinkers, but they weren't great warriors. And 
there was a battle between them and the new people to arrive after this, the Tuaday Danon. It's called the First Battle of Magtured. They were able to keep the Fomorians at bay, but not fully defeat them. And against the Tuaday Danon, they were basically helpless because they were more about agriculture, society, sustainable growth, these types of things, but they weren't great warriors. The Tuaday Danon, though, they were magic conjurers. Think like the elves from Tolkien, okay? They were, you know, in some stories, they were immortal and they were uncomprehensively wise and very beautiful people and they possessed magical powers which more than substituted for their small numbers. I think that's um, because the probiotic from the yogurt they created. <laughs> <laughs> But with the two-a-day Danon, the Fomorians were going to seize opportunity again. But against the two-a-day Danon, once they found the power of their magic, they realized that they could never bring darkness back to Ireland ever again. They were always kept in tow by the two-a-day Danon. Another thing that is very important that they brought to Ireland, or eventually over time their people introduced to Ireland, are four magical treasures. One is the Spear of Lou, the other is the Dagdus Cauldron, another is the Stone of Thal, and the last is the Sword of Light of Noada. I thought you were uh, going to say the last was a pint of Guinness. <laughs> With... <laughs> but if, if you notice, though, all of these things were not only held by great warriors and given their power or great thinkers or great priests and priestesses, but each thing kind of represents a cornerstone of their culture. The spear representing strength in warfare. The Dagdras cauldron actually representing things like strength of religion. The stone of fall sort of building in society. Uh, the sword of light of uh, Noada being uh, intelligence and trust in enlightenment, I guess you could say. Um, and they ruled Ireland for a very long time people called the Milesians. Uh, the Milesians were a Celtic people and they came from somewhere in Central Europe where apparently they had already had a great uh, base of power. But a man by the name of it saw the coast of Ireland when he was in Spain journeying there and he vowed to conquer it. Before this, the Tuatha Dé had been very successful in keeping Ireland secret from the rest of Europe. But somehow he was able to see it. And at the same time in Ireland, the Tuatha Dé were sowing their own seeds of destruction because Niet, king of the Danon, had just been killed in a battle with the Fomorians as basically the Tuatha Dé were attempting to eradicate them for good. This led to great confusion in their society, so the Milesians, capitalizing on it, invaded. If was captured and actually put to death by the Tuatha Dé but the rest of his crew survived and they went back to Spain and they gathered tons and tons of allies and plotted revenge. Eventually, there was significantly more battles as they came back again and again and again. They were determined to take Ireland. And eventually, they defeated them in a battle at a place they described called Telltown. The Tuatha Dé were completely dispelled or driven from Ireland, though. And basically, what happened was the Milesians knew the benefits that their mere presence of the Tuatha Dé Danann brought Ireland. 
the mysticism, the magic, how they were keeping the land uh, healthy and strong and even growing it. So they came to a deal with the Milesians. The Milesians would rule the physical realm. They would walk the earth in Ireland. And the Tua Dei Danon would live in sort of the afterlife. And the closest thing to like a portal, I guess that you could call it, where they could sometimes reach into our realm would be the giant barrows and downs, the giant man-made sort of hills that you see dotting Ireland. And over time, they kind of became a fairy tale where people shrunk them down to miniature size. Leprechauns are kind of related, but not. I mean, that's a really complex thing to go into. Some two-a-day Danon were good. Malaysian, and later on, you know, they call themselves Irish. Families would talk about leaving things out for the little people in their home, meaning them. They would bring beneficial or benefits, I should say, to the household at times. Other times, you know, they were like any other people. Some of them hated the Malaysians, hated the Irish, and they might be, you know, sort of nasty little people that need to be kept at bay or expelled. Nowadays, there is this push to not really grant any historical context. But when you have a people who have been passing down these stories forever, and they can even say whereabouts that they came from, you know, I think there might be something to it there, especially as over time we talk about the Celtic links between Spain and uh, the rest of the Celtic world, especially Ireland. I, I think there is a lot in there that, you know, maybe we'll never fully figure out what's real and what's not. It's really quite extraordinary. And believe it or not, that's a brief synopsis. If I were to tell you the whole story, <laughs> it'd be like if I was reading the uh, Silmarillion to you guys from front to back, you know, we'd be here all day. But it's really, they have a really interesting story. I, I would say anybody who really loves fantasy would have a ton of fun reading about the mystical Irish heroes, the invasions, and there's also plenty of just fake stuff out there. You know, one last thing, one last character and person I'd like to talk about would just be, uh, there was a Scottish poet by the name of James McPherson in the mid-1700s who, he was Scottish, but wrote a lot about both Scottish and Irish supposed mythology. Really, uh, these epic poems he was writing were, were works of fiction for the most part. He may have heard stories from Scottish and Irish peoples and maybe lifted some of their characters, but they all sort of came out to be forgeries. But one of the most enduring and still exciting characters you can read about is Oshin. Oshin was, depending on what version of the story you read, he was the son of Finn McCool. He was sort of this tragic character. He was a great warrior, but also a great bard in his own right. There's a great story. Once again, it's super long, and I don't want to give it away. If you really like Greek stories, it might kind of sound familiar, but he falls in love with a goddess of the sea who tries to bring him eternal life and he goes out to sea. I mean, he, he lives on the sea, basically, walks on water and is never allowed to set foot in Ireland again. But then he does. Uh, and, you know, it brings about all sorts of stuff, really interesting stuff to read. To me, learning about a lot of this stuff in college, it got me back into to great fantasy writers like Tolkien and others. And you can also see where they may have gotten some of their inspiration 
there's a lot of people out there really passionate about this history, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of corrections. I'm going off the cuff here, though, guys. I, you know, I studied this stuff quite a while ago, but just looking it back up again makes me want to sort of reread a lot of this. So, yeah, I, I would say go out there and study it, especially if you're into even Irish history, Irish or Scottish ancient history. And believe me, you won't be bored. There is a lot of cool stuff in there. Thank you, Ricky. I, I know you're busy out delivering green beer. We heard you in your vehicle. And to be able to <laughs> bring this in uh, while you're driving was amazing. And I thought it was pretty comprehensive. Oh, great. I'm glad. I'm glad I made sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I just want to tell everyone out there to have a good St. Patty's Day. Um, I hope they get a chance to see their families and, uh, Maybe go to mass, maybe have a big dinner, whatever it is, whatever tradition you follow. I hope you get to do it and I hope you have fun. Thank you, Rick. Shalange. <laughs> That's I Bye, guys. Shalange. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We should talk a little bit about leprechauns. The leprechauns. I grew up with a father and I talked about it earlier. He was adopted, but he had Scottish and Irish influence on him. My dad believed in the little people. And he swore he saw one when he was a child. I saw two little people at the end of my bed. But when they I was weren't a kid. leprechauns. <laughs> well, they weren't wearing the <laughs> the traditional leprechaun gear. He would really get me going. And I grew up watching Darby O'Gill and the Little People, which I don't know if Irish people are fond of that movie <laughs> at all. But I, I was growing up. I thought it was great. And you got Sean Connery was in that. I don't mm -hmm. know if you did. You see that? Never. It's wonderful. There's a banshee in it, and it used to scare the crap out of me. Legend has it that a leprechaun is a type of fairy that stands about as tall as a three-year-old child. A leprechaun is usually described as a bearded man who wears a green suit and a hat. It's believed that there are no female leprechauns to be found. I wonder why that is. According to stories, the leprechaun is a shoemaker who spends most of his time making and fixing shoes. In fact, some say when a leprechaun is near, you can hear the tap-tap-tapping of his tiny hammer as he drives nails into shoes. These little men are also said to be very mischievous and enjoy playing tricks on those they meet. Are leprechauns real stuff? Hmm. I, I have a tendency to want to believe in otherworldly things. And I feel like people have had experiences. I'm not going to, you know, I've seen weird things in my life, so I don't know what to think. I feel like there's things in the ocean that we've only now discovered That's that true. are real. We never would be able to see them. And they are so unusual looking. Mm-hmm. And we know there's an invisible world. You know, look at all the actual things that are not visible to the eye. Like under a microscope, you have to look. So I think that what we see in the uh, physical world is kind of a reflection on the other side in a way. So well, I have a tendency to believe. The, the leprechaun is thought to be a mythical creature, but old Irish tales say that this little mischief maker is real and was first spotted back in the 700s. Now, stories of these leprechauns have been passed on for generations. As for its name, some suggest that the word leprechaun comes from an old Irish word, lucrepan, which means small body. Others say it developed from an Irish word that means shoemaker. What about the pots of gold? It's said that every leprechaun has a pot of gold and that he hides it deep in the Irish countryside. <laughs> According to legend, the leprechaun must give this treasure away to anyone who captures him. But this little fella won't let his treasure slip away easily. The story goes that the sneaky leprechaun can fool a person into looking away for an instant. And just like that, he vanishes into his forest home and takes his treasure with him. 
Now, before the 1800s, leprechauns were described as wearing red suits instead of green ones. But that changed in the late 1700s when an Irish poet named William Allingham wrote about a leprechaun dressed in green. And this image became the one that stuck. It's the one that we are most familiar with to this day. Are leprechauns an endangered species? In a small Irish town called Carlingford, leprechauns are officially protected species. After a local claim to see a leprechaun in the area, a law was passed in 2009 to keep these little creatures safe. According to the locals, the last living leprechauns, all 236 of them, live in that region. Even though they're protected, the town of Carlingford holds a leprechaun hunt each spring. But instead of searching for real leprechauns, people track down ceramic and stuffed ones that have been hidden on a nearby mountain. Those who find a leprechaun win a cash prize. Let's go out, Steph. Let's do it. That sounds like a lot of fun. We can't promise that you'll see a leprechaun, but there are a few places around the world dedicated to the leprechaun. There's Leprechaun Park, and that's in Mill Ends Park in Oregon. And it's the world's smallest park. Truth be told, the park is just a flower pot full of plants in the middle of a road. But besides that, <laughs> the park's said to be home to a leprechaun colony. There's the Leprechaun Cavern in the town of Carlingford, Ireland. There are underground caverns that visitors can walk through. A tour guide explains the history of leprechauns and tells the tales that the leprechauns that are said to have traveled in these underground tunnels. There's a leprechaun museum in Dublin, Ireland beginning back from the first ever sighting back in the 8th century to modern day. <laughs> just talking about Irish stuff, you just can't help break into... <laughs> I can't. It's in my genetics. It's in my DNA. <laughs> she doesn't sound that Irish. Irish-American. <laughs> <laughs> but what about chloricon stuff? I didn't know about chloricons until you brought it up. The other day, and you're like, I want to do about chloricons. Well, did I you didn't know, know what it the was. chloricons are in the Wikipedia? Wow. <laughs> That's how real they are. They're mischievous like the leprechauns, but they have a great love of drinking and a tendency to haunt breweries, pubs, and wine cellars. Now, they're related to the leprechaun and have sometimes been conflated with him as a shoemaker and a guardian of hidden treasure. This has led some folklorists to suppose that the chloricon is merely a leprechaun on a drinking spree while others regard them as regional variations of the same being like the leprechaun the chloricon is a solitary fairy encountered alone rather than in groups as a distinct from the trooping fairies i thought the, the leprechauns drank a little bit but yeah. apparently in the folktale the haunted cellar recorded by thomas croft and crocker croker in 1825 a chloricon named Naginan haunts the wine cellar of an Irish lord, drinking everything in sight and playing frightening pranks on the servants. He's described as a little man measuring six inches in height with a face like a withered apple. His he, face is like a withered apple? Yeah. He has twinkling eyes and a nose that's red and purple from heavy drinking. He wears a red nightcap and a short leather apron, light blue stockings, and shoes with very large silver buckles. Definitely sounds like family. <laughs> When he is discovered by the master of the house, Naginan talks him out of moving elsewhere by implying that he would simply move with him. Now, other descriptions have him wearing red like other solitary fairies. There's tons of tales of these chloricons. They are mischievous. They even like slaughter cattle and stuff. Wow, maybe that's the reason uh, out 
In the United States, we've had those weird cattle mutilations. <laughs> it's it could the, be these it's the drunken psychopath chloricons. <laughs> Before we go on with a little more chloricons, or leprechauns, or any of that jazz, I have to play the most hilarious newscast about this. Do you remember this? Yes. Uh, I, I would hope that no one has heard about this just so you can laugh because it is so funny. Well, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, crowds are coming by the dozens to get an up-close view at what some say is a piece of Irish folklore. Some people in the Crichton area of Mobile say a leprechaun has taken up residence in their neighborhood. A leprechaun. NBC 15's <laughs> Brian Johnson has more. Curiosity leads to large crowds in Mobile's Crichton community. Many of you bring binoculars, camcorders, even camera phones to take pictures. To me, it looked like a leprechaun to me. I got to do look up in the tree. Who else in the leprechaun say yeah? yeah! Eyewitnesses say the leprechaun only comes out at night. If you shine a light in its direction, it suddenly disappears. This amateur sketch resembles what many of you say the leprechaun looks like. Others find it hard to believe and have come up with their own theories and explanations for the image. My theory is it's casting a shadow from the other limb. Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff and it told him to get up in a tree and play a leprechaun. We're going to get down to the bottom of this. You're still on there, guy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, man. This guy, helping to direct traffic, says he's prepared for his encounter with the leprechaun. He's suited up from head to toe. This water's all smells right here. This is a special leprechaun flute, which has been passed down from thousands of years ago from my great-great-grandfather, who was Irish. I just came to help out. Others just came to get lucky in hopes a pot of gold may be buried under this tree. I'm going to run a backhoe and uproot that tree. I want to know where the gold is. I want the gold. <laughs> Give me the go. I want to go. This is Brian Johnson, NBC 15 News. People will do anything <laughs> for a pot of gold. I mean, any. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who haven't seen this and are just listening, there's a point where a gentleman has a leprechaun flute that was <laughs> passed down from his Irish ancestors. And what was that flute exactly, Steph? I don't know, but it just looks like a pipe with it holes is. in it. It's a pipe. It doesn't look like it makes a noise whatsoever. It's like a, an actual bathroom pipe. Yeah. <laughs> with, so, with that was passed on from his Irish ancestors. I don't know why he thinks it's old. It's just hilarious. It's I pure know, hilarity. It's so funny. It's perfect for St. Patty's Day. So clearly everyone knows about leprechauns, but not many people know about these clericons. The Irish think of him as the slightly controversial, badly behaved cousin of the leprechaun. Would you like to see their depiction? Wow. Kind of looks like a pirate. A wee little pirate. My dad used to have this, like a, it wasn't a bust. It was more like a head that was probably ceramic. You know, it was like originally carved and then someone made ceramic copies of it or whatever. And it was colored, and it was like a man's head. It was an Irish guy's face. To me, it looked like a leprechaun, and it was small. It scared the crap out of me. My dad had it hanging on the wall. He kind of had like a little tooth showing, and he had the little cap. And his eyes were like just how you described the leprechaun with the eyes. But I couldn't even look at it as a child. It's scared, scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, they are a little frightening. So they do have a fondness for alcohol, and they can be merry and even quite charming. But their pranks have been known to border on the unpleasant. Due to their excessive drinking, they have short tempers, 
and have little gauge or care for the troubles of others. So unless you want your booze cupboard cleared out, or your milk turning sour, or your eggs made rotten, I'd get the feck out of here. <laughs> they have been known to harm livestock, and even people, should anyone stand in their way of their acts of debauchery. Their tales of sheep and cattle falling ill, and family members catching the pox after disgruntling a chloricon. The legend of trying to catch a leprechaun actually stems from stories about chloricons, it's argued. Chloricons were known to carry magical purses which contained a lucky shilling that always returned to the purse, no matter how many times it was spent. I could seriously do with one of those. Yeah. <laughs> because of this coin, many mortals were seen trying to catch a chloricon so as to seize ownership of the coin. They're as hard to catch as they are to shake. Numerous tales of homes being tormented by chloricons all tell the same story. If you ever find yourself plagued by the chloricon, the likelihood is that you try to move your house to get away or try to otherwise get rid of them. It will have the opposite effect. Chloricons are loyal creatures and tend to attach themselves to families, most notable as they are the ones with the best wine cellar, such is their appetite for boozing. You can't get away from them. They're like having a, a diamond, a little diamond attached to you. Wow. Like I was telling you how in Darby O'Gill, The Little People, it was my first encounter of what is called a banshee. And in the movie, it's it's like this wailing ghost that mm -hmm. basically, I don't know, this was one of the scariest things I've ever seen as, as a kid, the scene in the movie. And so I'm looking here to, you know, I've never looked it up to see what a banshee really oh, is. Oh, yeah, banshees are freaky. Yeah. Woman of the Fairy Mound, or Fairy Woman, is a female spirit in Irish folklore who heralds the death of a family member, usually by wailing, shrieking, or keening. I've never heard of that word. Her name is connected to muli or mounds that dot the Irish countryside, which are known as S-I-D-C-D-A, or Sid, Sid or something, in Old Irish. I'm sorry, but with English, you never know which way the vowels are going to go. <laughs> So it says, sometimes she has long streaming hair and wears a gray cloak over a green dress, and her eyes are red from continual weeping. She may be dressed in white with red hair and a ghastly complexion, according to a firsthand account by Anne Lady Fanshawe in her memoirs. So whoever that woman is, I guess, had a personal encounter. But that's like the the Grim Reaper, too. That's like one of those things that you see people witness this big shadowy person that has a sickle. Yeah. <laughs> then someone's going to die in their family. So this is the size of the banshee is another physical feature that differs between regional accounts, though some accounts of her standing unnaturally tall are recorded. Sounds scary. <laughs> the majority of tales that describe her height state that the banshee stature is short anywhere between one foot and four feet. Her exceptional shortness often goes alongside the description of her as an old woman, though it may also be intended to emphasize her state as a fairy creature. She's part of the fairies. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. You know, they wail, they scream, and their scream just goes right through you. I don't think I'd ever want to encounter that. I'd rather encounter a leprechaun. Oh, I'd be having drinks with the leprechauns. <laughs> or the chloricons, whatever, which one... They sound like they're a lot of fun. It would be nice to blame all your problems on, like, leprechauns, too, if your parents were like, hey, there's no alcohol left. Have you been drinking? Like, oh, no. That's the, the chloricons. chloricons. <laughs> and if they say, 
we don't know what you're talking about. You say, look it up. Wikipedia, Mom, it's on there. <laughs> well, Steph, I had fun. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, a lot of history that I didn't know. Yeah, I loved Ricky coming in with his vast knowledge of Celtic history. Yeah, that was just off the cuff. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing. That was pretty As he good. was driving around delivering green beers to everyone. <laughs> you can find us on tothespiritpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. May you get all your wishes, but one, so that you will always have something to strive for. For each petal on the shamrock, this brings a wish your way. Good health, good luck, and happiness for today and every day. Oh, all the money that e'er I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I ever did, alas, it was to none but me. If it should fall into my lot that I should rise and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call, good night and joy be with. Oh, all the comrades that e'er I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they wished me one more day to stay. But since it falls into my lot that I should rise and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be with you all Oh, if I had money enough to spend And leisure time to sit a while There is a fair maid in this town Who sorely has my heart beguiled with rosy cheeks and ruby lips, I know she has my heart enthralled. So fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be with you all. To the spirit podcast. Supernatural society. I'm ghost, I'm ghost, I'm ghost, I'm ghost, I'm ghost. Thank you. Mystic. Spirit. Divine source. Heaven. The dead. It's magic.